Near FM and the Near Drama Company are proud to present Riveting History by Pat Meehan. Episode 4 Do you, Marion, spinster, and would-be look-alike pour la belle Monroe, take his Zainus Leary, supreme ruler of Mead, and serial pissed? To your bosom, as your lawful lord and master. And will you promise to provide for him many sons, who will fight and strive against one another, and plot to have each other cruelly done to death, in order to inherit his kingdom, when he has finally succumbed to some dreadful affliction, or been murdered by one of said sons? And will you also provide one or two daughters to help you with your consortly duties, and who will be given in marriage at a tender age and without their consent to totally unsuitable, decrepit, old, pox-ridden chieftains when the time comes? Bon. And now, Monsieur Fadorok, with his very sharp and wicked-looking knife, will slit one of yours and the king's wrists, so that your blood may mingle and become one. Then you will be his forever. Jesus, oh, thank God. What a bleeding nightmare. Hello? Oh, it's you. Yeah, I got back sometime last night. No, it wasn't a fucking great experience, TCP. It was a bleeding nightmare. No, I don't know where the fornicate is. No, he said nothing to me about where he was going, and I don't give a toss either. Damn right I'm in a strop. Listen, you just cough up the money he owes me for going up the hill of Tara and we'll call it quits, okay? What do you mean I'll get nothing if I quit now? You'd want danger money for doing that job. Contract? Yeah, I remember I signed a contract. Yeah, I know it was me who insisted on a contract in the first place, but... All right. I'll meet you for a cup of coffee, but you're paying... The college cafeteria will be open. I'll see you there in an hour. Bye. Ah, look who it is. Come here and sit down. You look like a wet rag. What happened? Did your man do something on you? Didn't think I'd be bumping into you so soon. Loon, isn't it? Yeah. And I didn't forget your name either. Miss Monroe. Come to think of it, you looked like her just before they shut her up in a mental hospital. The poor young one was working on the misfits with Clark Gable and Montgomery Clift. 1960, that was. Long before you were born. She was suffering from depression, so they say. Are you suffering from anything? 
exhaustion and a very bad dream. Just like Marla Monroe was. That girl's whole life was a bad dream. What was that noise? Ah, that's just Sonia and Seamus. It's a squiddle, sort of. What do you mean, it? You just said two names. And how do you mean, sort of? It's something we rescued from a laboratory. Not a very nice place at all, I can tell you. That's all I can say. Was it experimented on? Don't tell me if it was experimented on. I can't stand that sort of cruelty. Worse than that. It was one of them laboratories, one of them Frankenstein places that creates mutants. The sort of place that you'd be interested in working in. Genetics, that's what they do. And they created Sonia and Seamus. Here, I'll pop their its cage up on the table, then you can have a look. See? Two squiddles. A grey and a red, only they're both in one body. Look, Marion, they've got two sets of reproductive organs and they keep trying to hump all the time. The grey side keeps getting its way because it's bigger and stronger than the red. Oh, that's horrible. Makes me shiver, that does. Why don't you let them... it go? What? Bring them up to the Phoenix Park or the Pine Forest in the Dublin Mountains? And then what? Mutant squiddles running all over the place, that's what. What are you going to do then? kindest thing would be to have them put down don't you think it's either that or watch them it bonking itself to death there's veterinary people here on the campus that are attached to the science labs it's the summer holidays but you could go and and see if there's anyone there just on the off chance like oh yeah just like you showing your true colours wanting me to go and handle poor unfortunate creature creatures it to the very ones that are carrying on their rotten practices in the first place. Hold on a minute here, you lunatic. I was only trying to help. Don't give me that. Aren't you studying genetics? Yeah, you are. Right here in them very laboratories. Go on, I dare you to deny what them scientists are doing. I heard they created a woolly mammoth from a bit of a bone that was found in a glacier somewhere up in Siberia. Ten thousand years it was frozen in the ice and... They were able to thaw it out and make a completely new one from that bit of old bone. They'd have kept it in a secret zoo somewhere, along with all lots of other extinct creatures they brought to life. It's just like that in Film Jurassic Park. That's just a stupid myth put out by ignorant people who don't understand science. Yeah, there was talk about cloning a, a mammoth, but it never happened. It wouldn't be ethical. Genetics is about improving people's health, not about playing God. That's exactly what they're doing. Resurrecting things. And you mark my words, it'll be humans next. Now, here's the waitress with me lunch. I've ordered the healthy option. Lovely iceberg lettuce, tender charred leaves, sun-dried tomatoes and feta cheese. Oh, and two deep-fried Mars bars. Deep-fried Mars bars? You must be bleeding nuts or something. <laughs> Not for me, you Giraga. They're for the squirtles. Listen, there's a fellow over there near the door and he's looking around like he's to meet someone. It wouldn't be you by any chance, would it? How are you, Marion? God, you're not looking very well. Are you coming down with something? This is how you look after you've been scared shitless, TCP. 
I thought you might have gathered that from the clues I gave you on the phone earlier. I'm sorry, Marion. I, I don't quite follow. Go and talk to the fornicate TCP. He'll fill you in because I can't be arsed right now. Professor de Fornicate rang me half an hour ago. He was totally delighted with your progress made on the Tara. Though impressed. He said the details were hush-hush and couldn't be divulged until the quest was fully completed. The great man was very complimentary of you, Marion. He mentioned something offhand about your skills as a motorcyclist. Anyway, he asked me to tell you that there's a meeting in the Shebeen Hotel later. To brief his benefactors, he said. He was very insistent that you showed up. 5pm, he said. He told you nothing about what happened? You've no idea? Not a word, Marion. But that's quite all right, because you're aware he's promised to give me the serialisation right for riveting history when the whole thing is done and dusted. I know it's going to be utterly sensational. Until then, I'm happy to remain in blissful ignorance. What? Oh, yeah. FLM, FM. I was forgetting. Everything is going splendidly over there. I'm glad to say the little uh, <clears throat> mishap we had with Professor Heron seems to have gone away. At least Bob hasn't mentioned the unfortunate incident, so all's well that ends well, and all that. I'm delighted for you, TCP, and I hope your radio station job lasts. But listen, I won't be going to any meeting in the Shebeen Hotel at five o'clock. I, I, I thought we sorted all that out earlier. On the phone, Marion. Yeah, you thought it was sorted out, but I never said it was. You need to be getting on to Henry and telling him that it'll take a lot of money to get me back on side. A lot of money, TCP. And don't bother your arse mentioning the contract, because I couldn't give a toss about that either. I mean it. OK, OK. Well, give him a call. But I think he'll say no. Just stay put here. I'll be back in a f- few minutes. God, I hope he doesn't take the head off me after me recommending you and all. Yoo-hoo! Marion! Come here. I've something to tell you. What do you want, Lewin? Jeez. Your man really got up your nose, didn't he? He looks like a right Lachio. If ever I saw one, so he does. He certainly didn't improve your mood, that's for sure. Ah, don't mind me. I'm more annoyed with myself than him. I'm just after getting myself the boot from me new job. The money was great, so it was. Ah, don't be so down in the dumps, for God's sake. It's only a feckin' job. Listen, I got a call from my friends in the Incredible String Bandits. Do you remember me telling you about them? Well, Stavros, he's Greek and he's got a mouthful of gold teeth that blind you when he smiles. Him and Hippo Heaps got word of this place in the back of beyond that's doing all sorts of detestable things to animals. They said something about huge winged creatures that looked like a mixture of blue bottles, wasps and moths. Only they were gigantic and they had several pairs of eyes like big orbs that twisted all around. The poor things were housed in specially bacteria-free glass rooms and they kept flying up towards the lights in the ceiling while they whispered, help us, help us. And what Stavros said was, German, we're going there, down there tonight to wreck the place and free the poor bees. Why don't you come along with us? And no thanks, Lewin. You're all right. That's too bizarre for me altogether. Well, don't say you weren't asked. Look, here's your man back, grinning like a snake. He's a dirty sleeving, Marion. Watch yourself with that fella. Ah, you must have made some impression on the professor, Marion. 
because he laughed when I told him you wanted more money. <laughs> and then he said, you had the grand balls. <laughs> Anyhow, he was still looking to show up for the meeting. No, what? You mean he didn't give me the bullet? Did you tell him how serious I was, TCP? I'm not some fucking little girl pushover who can be plumassed with any old shite, you know. He better be talking serious dough or he can stick his meeting. What time did you say it was that? <laughs> Marianne! Marianne, mon chéri! I am so glad you decided to grace our little get-together with your lovely presence. Uh, you're acquainted with our other guests, whom you have seen previously, eh? Of course. I have appraised them of the situation. And our generous benefactors would like you to relate exactly your experiences on the Hill of Tara. You may be quite frank and omit nothing, Marianne. Nothing at all. Tiens, Marianne, you have set the minds of Jerry and the others racing with your tale of the Ark. On s'est bien amusé. <laughs> what fun. Oui, oui, it is an old yarn, certainly, about how a Jewish tribe carries the Ark of the Covenant from Palestine and secretly buried it somewhere on the hill of Tara. And of course you are familiar with the infamous archaeological dig by a group of British Israelites between 1899 and 1902. These people were utterly convinced the Ark was there and they meant to discover it. Yeah, feckin' Egypts. They were all lunatics in them days. Totally off their trolleys. Oh, nevertheless, they managed to carry on excavating for two years without much opposition. Imagine it, Marianne. Nobody did anything while a group who believed in their right to rule the world dug up the most important national monument in Ireland. Until, of course, some people of a certain nationalistic view made their protest felt. Ah, but how can you not see the delicious irony of it, Marianne? You of all people. What do you mean, me of all people? Oh, je suis désolé, Marianne. I assumed you would have made an in-depth study of this fascinating and eccentric bit of Irish history. Well, I didn't do an in-depth study on the advice of the lecturer, because she said there was more important stuff to concentrate on. Of course. And you must forgive me for making foolish assumptions. But if you will indulge me, I will try to explain. I think this may take a little time, mon chéri. So, all these famous people like W.B. Yeats, Arthur Griffin and Maud Gahn campaigned against the dig? Essentially, it was a bunch of rich, arty farties and Irish Republicans against a crowd of mad Freemasons, so? Oh, basically that is correct. There is a link, however, which ties all of that to the present and to you, Marianne. But first, let us have more of this excellent champagne. Duke, mon ami, bring another bottle. Come on right up, Professor. Right away. Ah, where was I? Oh, yes, the link. It was Christmas Day, 1900. The actress Maud Gunn 
and the co-founder of Sinn Féin, Asa Griffith, walked across the hill of Tara to inspect the recent damage done to the ancient site. There is nothing outwardly exceptional about that visit. But some two weeks later, Mordgon reported in a newspaper article that she had experienced a vision there. So vivid was it that she fell to her knees. She seemed to see shuddering misty forms moving in procession around the great rats where the palace had stood. Her companion, Griffith, saw nothing. What's any of that got to do with me? That is the irony. You are the link, Marianne, the conduit to the past. The benefactors as you speak of meeting the ancient know. They believe you saw the same things that Morgan did. They believe you have special powers, Marianne, to finding the connection to Kuhalan and maybe even retrieving the Ark. Uh, stop talking crap, will you? All that stuff is bull and you know it. What's that you just said about about the Ark? Oui, Marianne. Nous avons la grande opportunité, Would mon chéri. speak English? The Ark, Marianne. Covered in the purest gold, it presents a great opportunity for both of us. If we brought it back from the past, we would be the two most famous people on earth. You're a bleeding spacer to fornicate. I saw what that thing could do in Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I'm having nothing to do with it. No, no, Marianne. That was just Hollywood. Pure fantasy, mon amour. But surely you know this. No. We could present it to my benefactors and then... I didn't get into archaeology to become a grave robin, plundering scavenger. I'm getting the hell out of here. Wait till I get me hands on that septic fellow. Oh, wait, Marianne, let me explain. Keep your hair on. What's the matter with you? I'm looking for Septic Crawley. Is he here? Who? TCP Crawley. He does the history programme. Oh yeah, him. He's just about to start. Can I take a message? Can I wait around till he's finished? I need to see him urgent. All right, go in there to the canteen. There's a radio if you want to listen and you can make yourself coffee. I'll let him know you're here. Marion, I need a big favour. And I need to give you a piece of my mind. No time for that now. Come on. I want you to sit in on the programme. We need balance. It's Riveting History. Good evening, listeners, to Riveting History. With me, your host and presenter, TCP Crawley, coming live from the studios of FLM FM. On tonight's show, we're going to be discussing Uparts, or out-of-place artefacts, as they're more commonly known. And joining us to consider this mysterious subject, we have Helmut Klums from Germany. Her Klums, if I might be permitted, has only recently arrived in Ireland, where he will embark on an extensive lecture tour of our universities. We're also joined in the studio by Madame Diana Fox. Madame Fox is a leading light in the world of mediumship and spiritualism. Is that correct, Madame Fox? Oh, call me Diana. Madame Fox seems a bit too grand for these settings. And you're right. Only I'm involved in a lot more than spiritualism. I'm big into angels and stuff like that, too. 
Uh, okay, lastly but not least, I'm delighted to introduce a good friend and colleague from the world of archaeology. I must tell you, this lady is currently working on a very exciting project, in which I myself have a rather modest part to play. Marion Monroe. Ladies and gentlemen, making her debut on right here on Riverton History. Oh, she's a gorgeous-looking young one. You're the spitting image of Marilyn Monroe. Do you know that? It's very close in here, don't you think? Or is it just me? I think it's very warm altogether. Well, let's start proceeding, shall we? OK, Helmut, explain a little about this phenomenon known as Ooparts. Yeah, and thank you for inviting me to your programme. Well, this, this is a very big subject, you know. It is mainly to do with the objects found in the coal, yeah? Uh, can we tease it out a little? Oh, yeah. Uh, they must return to 1936. You see, Max Hahn and his wife Emma were walking beside a waterfall in London, Texas, in America, yeah? They noticed a rock with wood protruding from its core. They took it home, and later, when they cracked it open with a hammer and chisel, they found embedded in the rock what appeared to be some type of ancient man-made armor. Fascinating. Utterly fascinating, Helmut. Do continue. Well, a team of archaeologists analysed and dated it. And the rock encasing the Amar was dated to more than 400 million years old. The Amar itself turned out to be more than 500 million years old. Uh, if nobody minds, I will have a bit of food, yeah? I have just got off a long flight from Russia, and they served the passengers nothing. Would anyone like to share a little sauerkraut and some pickled gherkin? I'd like to bring our other two guests in on the discussion. Marion, what's your opinion on this amazing announcement? Would you like to uh, <clears throat> dig around and see what you might unearth? What? Uh, it could be a hoax, TCP. I don't think human beings were around on Earth that long ago. Jesus, that doesn't half smell. Have you got any proof that they weren't? No, I don't have any proof, but yes, it wouldn't So really... they could have been humans here 500 million years ago. I don't think a hammer found in a rock is proof of anything. Nein, Fräulein. Uh, there have been many artefacts found over a long period of time in several parts of the world. Are you sure you would not like to share some food? No. Tell us and the listeners about some of them, Helmut. Well, uh, there was a small figurine made of baked clay, which was extracted 320 feet down from an artesian well in Idaho. To reach this depth, you see, the workers had to cut through 15 feet of basalt lava. Yeah, and they had to cut through much more strata below. This does not seem remarkable, until you consider, we consider, that the very top layer of lava has been dated to at least 15 million years old. This happened in 1889. No, sorry. That doesn't convince me of anything. I'm getting vibes off you. Do you know that? Yeah. Emanations like... What? They're very strong. I'm never wrong when it comes to getting vibes off of people. 
The coal of the byproduct of decaying vegetation, yeah? Science and geology accept this? Yeah, I know that. The vegetation becomes buried over time and it's covered with sediment. So what? This sediment fossilises and becomes rock. You see, this natural process of coal formation takes up 400 million years to accomplish. And the point is? Anything that is found in lumps of coal or in coal seams during mining had to have been placed or dropped into the vegetation before it was buried in sediment. That, Fraulein, is the point. Do you know that I come from a long line of famous mediums? I'm the great-great-granddaughter of Katie Fox. She and her two sisters, Margaret and Leah, were all the rage in New York in the late 19th century. I got me Paris from them, and I'm still getting vibes off you, by the way. Would you ever shut up about the bleeding vibes? God, the smell! You do not know what the bell in the coal, Fraulein? No, I don't know about any bell in the coal. And should he be eating that stuff in here, TCP? I think I heard something about that years ago. It was 19 oats splash. Yeah, yeah, that is correct, Fraulein. 1944. A ten-year-old boy. His name was Newton Anderson. He dropped a lump of coal in his basement and it broke in half as it hit the floor. Inside was a handcrafted brass bell with an iron clapper and a sculptor's handle. And? The bell was made from an unusual mix of metals, different from any known modern alloy production. The seam from where the lump of coal was mined is estimated to be 300,000 years old. Ah, look, I'm getting fed up listening to this TCP. I want to get the hell out of this. Uh, We'll go to a quick break. Uh, Back after these messages. God's sake. It's Riveton History. Understand. Cold and five hundred million years. Welcome back to Riveton History with me, TCP Crawley. And our studio debate has become quite lively, I must say. But now I think our friend, Herr Helmut Clums, should in fairness be given the chance to continue. Uh, Danke, Crawley. These extraordinary discoveries, although bizarre, are not unique. Or even uncommon, nein. There are literally thousands of them locked away in vaults of museums collecting dust. They are kept from public scrutiny, you know. And even quite recently, there was a new artefact unearthed in Russia, which I myself saw mit mine own eyes. Yeah, it resembled parts of a machine, but like nothing man-made. But wait, I have pictures of one or two of these artefacts that are millions of years old. Uh, Perhaps your other guests would like to view them. Here. Here is a photograph of a cast-iron pot found in a lump of coal in 1912 by a worker feeding coal into the furnace of a power plant. And here, here is one of an eight-carat gold chain found by a Mrs. S.W. Culp on June 11, 1891. This lady was breaking apart a lump of coal to put in her coal scuttle. Show me the picture. Show me. Uh, I, I, 
I have had a chain exactly the same as that one and... Oh, my God. Oh, oh, the emanations is getting stronger. Oh, look, I can see something. There's something happening. Grab her quick before she falls. What happened? I feel all woozy. It must have been the heat and the smell of your man's lunch and the silent farts he was letting. Oh, take it easy there now, young one. You're as white as a she. And the farts were mine, because I suffer from terrible flatulence. How did I get here? Your man TCP and the German fella carried you down here to the canteen. You gave everyone a terrible fright and no mistake. Where's TCP? Some chap called Bob with a red face and bulging eyes roared at him to get into the office. I think he might be in a bit of trouble. That was about five minutes ago. Your man Bob was nearly calling the ambulance for you. So what happened to you? You know, the heat in the little studio. I've never been just No, I don't mean in there. What happened before? And don't look at me like that with your big innocent eyes. When you flaked out, I got a glimpse of your aura and it didn't look too healthy, me girl. I don't know what you're on about. It's pale yellow, which means you've recently discovered some psychic ability. But it's also a little lemon yellow too. And that represents loss of some kind. Could be loss of control of your destiny. Why don't you tell me about the gold chain and this fella, Henry, who you were babbling about in your delirium? So, you believe that you and your companion travelled back in time and you gave away an exact replica of the gold chain that was in the photograph? Yeah, I had to do it so we could escape back to now. Hmm, are you sure, lovey? You didn't just dream all that. Dreams can sometimes seem real, especially if you're under stress. Maybe you should go to your doctor. Jesus, you haven't a bleeding clue. You got your powers from your great granny fox, did you? You're nothing but a fucking chancer. Get out of me way, you old hag, or I'll burst you. Psychic me arse. Wait, 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 I'm sorry. I believe you. I can see in your eyes you're telling the truth. Listen, I read in the book that if a person travels to another dimension or to the past and leaves something personal belonging to them there, then, then they also leave behind a part of themselves. Like maybe a part of their soul. But surely the Frenchman would have told you that, didn't he? He doesn't know. Nobody knows about the chain except you. You've got to tell him. Because he's the one who got you involved. And maybe you and me were meant to meet because I can help you. How? You need to get in touch with a very powerful spirit guide for a start. Hopefully one that you might share a link with. Look, Dinah, I don't know anything about that kind of stuff, okay? Someone from the other side who you're psychically connected to. Help me out here, will you? Think! Defora Kate said I I saw the same things that Maud God did on on the Hill of Tara. Who? Maud Gone McBride. She was involved in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. It was some sort of magical organisation in 1893 or something. She's buried in Glasnevin. Jesus, do you not know anything about Irish history? Perfect. What we need to do is conduct a seance. Come on, Marion. I need you to introduce me to this Henry de Fornicate bloke.
please be very careful where you step, Madame Fox. For if you trip over one of these gravestones in the dark and twist your ankle, I am afraid I will not be able to assist you back over the boundary wall. She's not going to trip over anything if you just shine the torch properly to fornicate. Where did you say the grave was? I'm trying to see the map, Marianne, but it is quite difficult in such pitch blackness. I believe it is not too far ahead now. You're right, Frenchie. I can feel my fingers starting to tingle. This is really exciting. Et voilà. Here we are. The grave of Maud Gone McBride. The great lady of wits. Keep your bleeding voice down, will you? You'll have the security people on us. Hurry it up and do whatever it is you need to do, Diana, before we get arrested. The spirits can't be rudely wakened from their repose, you know. Seances have to be conducted according to a set of guidelines and esoteric principles, or God knows what might happen. Now, be quiet while I channel me energies. Ah. Ah. I can feel the emanations. Mud gone, mud gone, awaken from your lengthy sleep. We have need of your help. Oh, holy shit, she's screeching like a banshee. What's that? Marianne, see, (gasps) the mist rises from the grave. Soon we shall see what we may see. Now I, Henri Dufonicate, must play my part. What are you at, Henry? Why are you making those odd shapes with your hands? Rosé Rubier Dorie Crucis. Rosé Rubier Dorie Crucis. You're scaring me, Henry. What are you doing? The ruby rose and cross of gold, Marianne. The inner order of the golden dawn. I have been a member for many, many years, mon chéri, as has Madame Maud gone. Look, she takes human form within the mist. Rosé Rubia Etoria Crucis Rosé... Oh, look! All the rest of the dead people are waking up. We have to get out of here, Henry. We, oui, Marianne, we have to get out of here. Come, take my hand. We will go this way. No, no, no. We've got to go back the way we came. We've got to help Dinah to climb over the wall, or she'll be stuck here with No, the... no, that foolish old woman has served her purpose. I could hardly believe my good fortune when you showed up with her. It's a perfect conduit for making the bridge between two realms. Come, we are leaving now. Don't struggle, just walk straight into the mist. All will be well, Marianne Monamour. All will be well. Let me go. Let me go, Henry, you bollocks. Let me go. Yeah, she's just standing at the graveside mumbling uh, incoherently about two, about the two people who went off in the mist with Maud gone. Over. Yes, I checked her bag for, bag for ID. I found a business card. It says she's a medium. Uh, no, there's no smell of alcohol from her. Over. She said one of the people was Marilyn Monroe and the other one was a fornicator. Over. 
Yeah, she looks harmless enough. Though I can't understand how she got in here at this time of night. Over. What? Levitated over the wall. Very funny. Okay, over. Right, missus. There's a nice man in a police car waiting outside to give you a lift home. You have been listening to Riveting History by Pat Meehan. Henry de Fornicate was played by Michael Sharp. Marion was Mary McNamara. TCP Crawley was Joe Murphy. Dina was played by Carol Dempsey. Loon was played by Felicity Carney. Helmet by Michael Sharp. And the Garda was played by Peter Pryor. Directed by Declan Cahill. Production assistant Deborah Gaffney. Sound production Gavin Byrne. This play is dedicated to the memory of Anne Lockney. This programme was made with the support of the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland.